You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hi, this is Tanya Pinkins, and you're listening to my podcast. You can't say that. It's the podcast where you can on the Broadway Podcast Network. Hey, this is Tanya Pinkins on You Can't Say That on the Broadway Podcast Network in the new studios. I am looking out over Manhattan. I don't even know what direction I'm looking in. I don't know if I'm looking at um, Queens or am I looking at Jersey, but it's a beautiful, beautiful view of Manhattan on an overcast day. And I'm so delighted to be in this new studio today with a dear old friend and colleague of mine, not old in the sense that he's old, but that we have an old relationship. And he's about to star in a new Broadway musical that is moving from the public theater. And I want you to help me welcome Mark Kudish. Good morning. With that deep, resonant voice. How are you this morning, Mark? Old. Old. I'm old, too. It's okay. Yeah. So what's going on with you right now? We're in tech right now. For? For a girl from the North Country. Um, And it's great. And uh, it's going to be at the Belasco Theater. And I've never done anything at the Belasco, have you? Okay. I don't know. I can't remember. I've done 10 Broadway shows. I don't know what theaters I was at. Uh-huh. Wow. <laughs> no, but I've, I've, I've seen, I think, one or two shows at the Belasco, but I've never spent time in it. Mm-hmm. It's gorgeous. How many seats? I want to say uh, between 1,000 and 1,100. Oh, it's big. It's big, but, you know, it's one of those great old theaters. It reminds me of the booth. So it's very intimate, and the seats are very tight to the stage, and so it feels very small when you're on stage. So it's a, is it a, a mez that comes pretty close? Yeah, the mez comes pretty close. There's a balcony above that. Okay. So, you know, it's one of those theaters that has height, Yeah. but everything is pushed forward. So it's really nice. It's it's great for the theater. All of the all, – all, I, I mean, all the the lamps in the theater are original Tiffany. Whoa. So it's Okay. It's beautiful. No, and then, you know, attention. and the backstage isn't bad. It's pretty really? nice. It's not uh, like you know, run down. And no, I mean, they it's must have old... had a lot of movie stars in there who had that in their contract to fix up their dressing rooms. Listen, you know how it is. <laughs> I don't care what anybody thinks. The minute you go backstage, you realize Broadway is not glamorous. Exactly. There are, but the it was built 1907, so it's an old theater, but the dressing rooms are actually pretty great. And there's a basement, Houdini, uh, spent a lot of time in that theater, and he had this great trick of a disappearing elephant. So the basement of the theater is where they would hold the elephant. So we call it, it's called the elephant room. Wow. And it's our green room now, and it's massive with like 40-foot ceilings. Oh, my God. So to be in a Broadway theater downstairs and to have that kind of space, head space, I've never experienced that before. That it's kind of crazy. Pretty amazing. No, it's beautiful. When like, I come, I want to go to the elephant. Room. Yeah, and I'll, you have to. It's really you're going to be like, damn, this is nice. Okay. No, it's good. What street is the Blasco on? It's on 44th between um, Broadway and Sixth, which is so nice. Oh, so it's on the other side. Yeah, it's on the other side. It's on the other side. Okay. So you yeah, don't get caught. You there. know how it is when you come down. Come out and, and you're just trapped. And you get caught in the river like a salmon. And yeah. in this particular case, you do not. Excellent. So it's really nice. And it's weird because you know how many years we've been doing this. But I'm like exploring 
what's on the other east side of Sixth <laughs> Avenue? <laughs> Not a lot. No, there is. <laughs> what? What is on the other side of? Well, the first state? of all, I didn't even put it together, but the Algonquin's right over there, so the Algonquin Room is right there. Uh huh. What are you going to do there? Well, I'm just saying. It's like <laughs> the Players Club is over there. There's a lot of the, the restaurant, play- you know, right. Uh, uh, the lambs, the lambs the is lambs, over there, the and lambs. I was like, "Oh, that's the right, lambs. the lambs." The lambs is I over there. I miss that yeah. theater very much. Yeah. But like, there's a lot of like antique stores, and it's wild how the minute you cross Sixth Avenue, the personality changes like that. Oh yes. And there's also some really cool restaurants, and um, I mean, I'm just like you know, and we diamonds. Never well, yeah, go up a couple, <laughs> go up a couple streets, and there's some diamonds, yeah. <laughs> no, but it's nice. I mean, it's it's kind of cool. Like, ah, oh, geez, I, I I mean, I think I don't know how many theaters I've played in, but how many Broadway shows have you done? This is fifteen. Fifteen. Oh wow. Yeah. Impressive. Yeah, you think I learn? You name, think I learn? Name these fifteen Broadway shows. No. Come on, I want to know what the fifteen Broadway. I'm gonna look it up. If you don't name it, I'm gonna pull it up on my. You know them. Uh, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Give me a minute. Whatever. Give me a minute. Um, okay. Joseph. Um, and the Amazing Technicolor. Re- right. Re- Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor. Uh, um, uh, Raincoat bow. cape. <laughs> yeah, no, Joseph the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Dreamcoat. <clears throat> um, what was after that? Okay, Girl from the North Country, that's 15. All right, if I go, no, I mean, yeah, but I mean. It's Love so- Music? No, I didn't do love okay. music. That was Michael. Uh, uh, all right. So Joseph, um, I'm skipping. I, 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 what am, oh, High Society. <laughs> That's why I couldn't remember. <laughs> um, and then after that was Scarlet Pimpernel. And then after that was The Wild, Wild Party. Party. Okay. And then I believe, no, I'm already wrong. Uh, Thoroughly Modern Millie, but I've skipped one already. Oh, uh, Bells Are Ringing. Um, and then, uh, assassins, the apple tree, um, nine to five, um, uh, okay. Finding Neverland, um, uh, hand of God, uh, uh, great society that I just did. You're just a little newbie. This Not much one, experience. Wait, and I'm skipping, I'm skipping two right now. What am I skipping? I don't even. Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Uh oh, oh, Britney's got it. Britney's got it. She's helping and you out. What was the other one? We got Hand to God. I loved Hand to God. I don't know. There's another one thrown in there somewhere for good measure. Awesome. I mean, I mean, you know, you're you're kind of new. You're still learning. You still got some. Well, that was like a benefity thing. Oh. You know, and and then all of that. You know. And then right all the time we're on a Broadway All of the stage other things. That's what people don't understand, things. right? Like everybody thinks, oh, it must be so great. Oh, you know, you're only working a couple hours a night. Mm-mm-mm-mm. No. And then when the award season happening, then you're well, working through whatever like, all, all that day and BS. Night but I mean, just like you know how it is because you're working during the day. The minute you get up, you show up, and the minute that you're out of, because, you know, we're in tech right now, right? So that's 10 out of 12 days. Mm hmm. And uh, those are long days. You're putting the show together. You're getting all the technical aspects together. And then the minute you go into previews, for anyone who may not understand how all this works, you're doing five hours of rehearsal a day and performing at night. So you're still doing 10 out of 12 days. Yeah. You know, you're just, now you've got audience, which you're thankful for because there's finally that energy that's returning. And once you open, 
then you go into all of the award stuff, which just tires you out because you're doing extracurricular activities. Breakfast, lunches, dinners, mm -hmm. extra events. And press. as you know, the minute you get a show open, you begin working on other things because your day opens up. So you right. never stop working during the day. You just go to work on other things. And for whatever the reason is, and I think it's because people happen to be in town for the awards, that's when everybody wants to do readings, workshops, because they know everybody that they want to have come with the cash are available and in town. Right. So it's intense up until, you know, mid-June. Right, right. Do you have any newbies like Gen Zs in your in your cast? I'm like, you know, oh, yeah. I'm having some pet peeves with the Gen Z. You know what? Okay, here's the thing. Here's the thing. <laughs> no, because this is a, a very topical conversation. <laughs> yeah. And I and, and good, let's talk about this. Because I think it's important. Seriously. Mm -hmm. oh, I'm I serious. agree. I'm serious. I have my pet peeves as well with Gen Z. But what I'm realizing is, is part of it is a pet peeve with them. But part of it is, I believe, it is uh, a numbness of our own generation and a, a certain lack of an awareness and or a lack of understanding that they process incredibly differently than we do. Oh, clearly. Yeah, but I, part of that's on us. It just is. It just is. It's, it's on us. We They're have so fragile. Here's the thing, and this is where I feel really bad for the Gen Zs particularly. They've never known a world without social media or internet. Ever, ever, ever. So how they receive information is selective. We had the opportunity when we were coming up to have a choice in how we received our information, and it was far less biased. Biased, it was. I'm not saying it wasn't. But you could read it in the paper, and you had to get it in like bites because there wasn't this 24-hour cycle that was nonstop. Right. If we wanted to learn something, we had to put forth the effort to go to the library or go to the place to get the information. So we were getting that information first With some effort. We had to effort right. to get it too. But by doing that, we got it firsthand. Nowadays, all you have to do is Google. And because of, you know, all of the optics of everything, it, it's reading how you're reading. And so it's giving you things selectively. And so they're being fed the information. And they they're being led around hear. on a leash. Right. <clears throat> and because of the idea of social media... I mean, I think in some ways like the 80s was, this is a decade that will nurture sociopathic behavior. <laughs> and this is not a slam. This is an observation. Okay. The same way that I believe the 80s helped develop sociopathic behavior because it was so me-centric. Mm. And it sort of struck us without us realizing it. It hit us upside the head. Because suddenly you went from making 20 years to your retirement to 20 million overnight. And when that happened, it was an exciting time, like the 20s. Mm. No one knew what the consequence of those actions would be. We just followed it. Mm -hmm. And so it became very me, 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 me. And so the iconic, I can only speak like, you know, obviously my point of view is male. So from the male point of view, the, the iconic male went from someone who worked really hard and worked for the company and spoke for the, you know, company, went to Gordon Gecko Greed is Good. Ugh. Get and, in, get out, get mine. Right, exactly. <laughs> and so now you're, and, and then we were celebrating guys at 35 retiring on 40 million. And today... And I'm not saying that all of social media is bad, but clearly we're realizing the repercussion of social media because we have major issues with it. 
And I think it's so me-centric that everyone can literally be the star of their own movie in and, tiny bites. Yeah, you can be the star of your own movie in tiny bites, and it's very, very a very, very narrow world, and it gives you this sense that you don't have to work very hard to become famous or become rich overnight when even some of these kids who are making millions on these YouTube videos, they have whole staffs that are videoing and cutting and but, editing, even to put this podcast together, the number of people that are involved to put it together. It's not like, oh, we'll just throw up some microphones and we'll talk and then we'll just put it out on YouTube. It just, it's not that simple. But this is my point. And that's why I say, when I say sociopathic behavior, I want to be clear that I'm not talking about like someone going out, like, you know, like killing people. But what I mean by that is, is that there is the potential for such a strong disconnect, mm. people tweet, people text. They don't actually get on the phone and call. Well, they say that's why podcasts are having such a huge popularity is that people are missing the sound of dialogue, a good conversation. And so they're paying or tuning in to hear other people have a conversation. They also say this is the last generation that will recognize their friends by the sound of their voice because people don't call each other anymore. Well, exactly. <laughs> you know, literally you can say to somebody, okay, do you know your best friend's uh, phone number off the top of your head right now? Do you know it? Most people can't answer that. Obviously, when we were coming up. Yeah, yes. I know my phone number from when I was a child. Right, but I don't so even do I. I know my kids' phone numbers. <laughs> you know, I know my wife's cell number by heart. There are a couple of numbers I know, but nowadays it's something that we don't have to exercise anymore. It's given to and us. And it means that we're not working our brains. I feel like we are handing over some quality of our brains to these computers and allowing them to think right. for us. And this is this huge device that can do so many things, and we are now turning it over. You know. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Well, I think a part of it as well is we're just exercising it in a different way. There's so much information and so much saturation that our brain has to switch over to absorb all of that. So we want someone or want something to assist us with those menial things because the information that's coming at us is coming at us in the now, right now. You can know anything from anywhere in the world immediately now. You can, but you at, at the same time, you can know everything wrong right now. Bingo. Because any point of view you want to hear, there, there is. is someone online who can speak very uh, articulately and authoritatively about something, and every fact about it could be wrong. And that's why we love podcasts, because <laughs> there's somebody else speaking our language. Mm. And you can find somebody who is speaking specifically your language. Exactly. And that's where things become fantastic and also challenging. Um, and I think, again, going back to Gen Z, so they're receiving information in this form and function. We were not brought up that way. That is not the way. It is there. We can choose to use it or not, but we have the tools and the practice at other ways of- Getting our, getting our information. Even just participating socially- <clears throat> We have other ways of doing it. They were never given that. And so it became clear to me that I think there's a certain sensitivity because so much information is coming so hard so fast and in many ways in such a selective way. And we're living in a world now where 
emotionality has overridden actuality. I mean, that's just the facts. Oh my God, it's That's just the facts. That's horrible. Actuality (laughs) and fact. We are, look, come on, let's be honest. The president is being impeached. No one is denying he didn't do illegal activity. They're not saying it's not illegal. They're saying it's not impeachable. And that's their pitch now. But that's always what the law has been. The law, you know, that's always what the law is. The law, as I will say, is what one white man will do for another white man on any given day of the week. And so they argue. Everything in the law is arguable. And they're making a strong argument. And if it convinces a judge or a jury, then that becomes the law. So it doesn't, legality has no meaning under the law. You're right. Well, we are now living in a lawless situation. It is clear now. It is official. We are now living in a, in a lawless- We've always lived in one. We just have someone who is saying, I'm going to take down the, the mask and let you see the lawlessness you've been living in all along. I'm not going to pretend anymore. Well, but I think that in the past, to a, I don't, you're right. That said, there at least were other, there were more checks and balances to these there things. There was better pretense. There was better <laughs> pretense, but there also was more, let's just say, watchdogging. You know, I'm not saying it wasn't happening, but there was definitely better watchdogging about it. Yeah. Now, now we're in an environment, which in some ways I think is really good, that as you say, it's out in the open and it, things are such, I'm, you know, sorry, with this White House administration and frankly, with the Senate, things are such that they're saying it's okay. So officially these people can really come out waving their flags. Yeah. And- in some ways, I think it's great because now everybody's out there. Now it's not just mm. under the skin. It's just right out there, ladies and gentlemen, for everyone to see. And that's going to be in many ways, I think, a positive because the other side, and that's where I think the Gen Z sensitivity pops out because I think, look, we're handing them shit. We're, yeah. handing, we're handing them a lot of stuff that they couldn't have had before if the work hadn't been put in. But look what we're ha- we're handing them shit. But you know what? They got more technology to do more and better than we ever did. They don't have to follow what we did. They can just wipe out what we did and start over. Yeah, and but they do also have okay, new. or they have the technology to keep the denial rolling. I mean, technology is not necessarily well, their the best choice, thing. But exactly. It's their choice. But it's and been I, our choice. It was our choice. Yeah. It, it was. It was our choice. This is the same shit that we said from the generation before us. And look where we are now. Yes, that's how I know I'm old. I'm complaining about the people coming up after me. Sure, and that's what I thought too. <laughs> it's just like, I guess this is what happens when you bitch about. But at the same time, like when we were doing the Great Society at Lincoln Center, um, which was uh, you know, part two to the LBJ presidency and right after all the way, it's the Great Society. So it's voting rights and it's civil rights and it's the Vietnam War and very touchy stuff, right? And the play had sensitive subject matter and a lot of bad language being thrown at a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And it was rough. And it was rough for the younger generation in the play to to have that language thrown at them on a nightly basis. And I get it. I I do. And and unfortunately, I... Not unfortunately, but I played a a character that was not necessarily... um, liked by a certain sect of our society. Those are the best characters to play. Well, the thing that's most interesting about playing a character, I played, you know, Mayor uh, Daly from Chicago. Uh-huh. That's you my, know. my hometown, Chicago, well, the okay. Daily Machine. You know, and there was the Daily Dynasty, and he was the pharaoh, and he was the kingmaker. And 
he made Chicago the modern Chicago it is today. And he ran his city like nobody else could run a city. And he was in the in the that 20th century probably the most powerful mayor our country has ever seen mm-hmm. and he was one of the most powerful democrats and he was a democrat mm-hmm. and a segregationist and a segregationist <laughs> bec- but when you listen to that man's mentality and the logic of why he ran the city his point was look you see anybody doing giving you any more and that on the bell curve he was like this is the best that doesn't mean it's right but like you said, it's a bunch of white men making these rules and promises. And, you know, regardless, it's men making promises over women. And, and it was still better than the South because people were flocking up to Chicago for this jobs and they opportunities were, but it because wasn't. it was better than the South. But in some ways it wasn't because those people in the North were supposed to be those people that were the, the, the Democratic Party that were standing for equal rights. And, and listen, MLK went from <clears throat> Selma, where shit was hard, and then he went to Chicago, where shit was worse. Mm. And he met a roadblock named Richard Daly, and he got his ass thrown out of Chicago because he was not ready for big city politics that mm. way. And he owned up to that. And then, of course, there was the Democratic, uh, uh, you know, Cong- you know, convention of 1968, where there were the worst riots, where Daly come at came out on television saying "shoot to kill," mm. and this is a Democrat, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. yeah. And everyone thought, well, that's the death of Daly. No. <laughs> no, no, he kept he held he held that till he dropped dead in office, and then his son took it for a while, and then his son took it <laughs> for yeah. longer than him. Yeah, so like it's complicated. People and, do like the devil they do know, right? And I think that was a part of it was that people just sort of gave into that, which is a danger of where we are now. Well, I think that this devil that we know feels like uh, an honesty. I think the other devils just they, they we were like. <sighs> They, they, they look good and they say the right thing and, and it doesn't make sense. But they're like, oh, yeah, devil, cool, I got it. And it's comfortable because there is a, a lack of a sham. Though I do think from what I've heard, actually some of my podcast guests, that our, our current person holding the White House does just say whatever he needs to say to be sensational and get um, attention. And it, it, do, it doesn't necessarily have to reflect any values if he has any values. You think? <clears throat> I have no idea, but I think people vastly underestimate his understanding of media and press. I think he does media like nobody does it. People are like, oh, he tweeted the wrong get, get team state for the Super Bowl. I'm like, yeah, that was planned because look how much attention he got. They say he has he is the most famous person since the history of fame. He knows how to work it. He knows that whenever he says something wrong, it's an opportunity for people to talk about him, and there's no such thing as bad publicity. I think that's true. I think he is, look, he is a classic sociopath. He is. He cares not for anyone except himself. His awareness goes no further than his own narcissism. I think he is incredibly selectively ignorant. I do not think he's a smart man. I do think he's savvy at social media through practice because he was reared by people that were sociopathic and that were, I mean, let's be honest, you know, his mentor was someone, Cohen, was someone who understood the power of rhetoric over actuality. And he admires Hitler. Let's be real, you know. He admires any dictator. And Goebbels said, you know, a lie told once is a lie, but a lie told a thousand times becomes the truth. Of course. And it numbs you. And and clearly that's all a part of narcissism and vanity. And you have to have a lack of empathy for that. You have to. 
Well, I'm going to say something very controversial. I suspect that it may be the so the sociopath who is going to be the evolutionary improvement on the planet. That that actually we sapiens who have feelings and empathy, we are just going to evolve out of existence because you know, our feelings and our empathy keep us from doing whatever's going to just keep us surviving. And nature certainly supports the the animal that is willing to do what it takes to survive and ensure its lineage. I mean, with right. that being the case, the sociopath has it over us. But I think that there are far less sociopaths than there are empaths. True. And the sociopaths will just use us as their cannon fodder and their servants and you know they're soylent green but also okay but also remember what happened but 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 also remember what happened in you know uh the late 17th 18th centuries with the monarchy they were overthrown and it's happened multiple times and this is where i go back to the gen z's and i i have faith because i think it's going to be that's why i think look i learned a lot from those young cast members in great society and i I, I became aware of things that I, I've always thought of myself as someone that's aware and woke as much as that word bothers me. And I became aware of the fact there were a lot of things that I was unaware of. Like what? That we do view and process information, receive it and give it in very different ways that I am uneducated in, and I think it is my responsibility to be better educated in. It doesn't mean I have to agree with it, but the only way to understand something is to go to it, and then you can have a real conversation about it. I think I really do make an effort to understand the new technologies, and I don't think just because something is new, it's better. I think that they, too, could make the effort to understand why things were done the way they were done in the past, because there's still validity in that, too. I don't disagree with you. I will also say this. You're a black woman. Mm -hmm. I am a Caucasian man. So there's difference. Now I say Caucasian, not white. Good. Well, but also because I am a Caucasian. I'm not white. And what do you mean when you say you're not white? Well, I'm I'm Jewish. Okay. So to me, you know, like I am not a part of that, um, let's just say, I want to be very careful about how I say this. Oh, you can say it. No, I mean it because semantically I think it's important. Yeah, yeah. and I think the definition that when you get clear on definitions. I received discrimination growing up. Mm -hmm. Now, you don't see it on my skin quick, and with me particularly, because I got light hair, I got blue eyes, I got a square jaw, Roman nose. I don't look like your typical Jewish person, but the minute people found out that I was Jewish, boop, turned. And I grew up, you know, in the South. So, I mean, I grew up with kids sitting behind me telling me I was going to hell every day, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. which I got used to, Mm -hmm. you know. Uh, And, you know, kids that I would get into fights with ended up becoming my best friends just because we got into a conversation about things. And one of my best friends growing up was Catholic. So, you know, I remember the first time I stayed over his house and I saw crosses on the walls and I was like, what is that? (laughs) You know, but the point is, you know, there's always the, you know, like... Now, now, I think that there's a real awareness and a fierceness to the Gen Z generation, particularly in more ethnic community, and there should be, you know, and, it, and it's because of a recognition of something, but the, the, the want, the desire, the ability, as there should be, to speak out about it and yeah. do something about it. And I think that there's yeah, a lot. I appreciate that. 
So do I. And there's more room for like uh, even, you know, just uh, uh, ethnic writers out there and yeah. ethnic directors out there and things that are happening yeah. out there. But I mean, I remember when we were working on the play, it was really tough because again, um, Robert Schenken is a brilliant man uh, and he's a wonderful writer and it's from a particular point of view and it's tough. And I became really aware of what it was for, 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 you know, these young, uh, black Americans to be representing very famous people. Um, but to feel like it was from a particular point of view and mm -hmm. how to handle that and bringing it forward on a stage especially when we were dealing with riots and we were dealing with, you know, language and the N-word being thrown left, right, and in mm -hmm, between. Mm -hmm. And it, it was really interesting to see how audiences <clears throat> responded to that and the kind of audience we were getting at Lincoln Center with that right. play. When even I was like, "Where, where's the youth, you know? Where are the school groups? They like, can't afford to go there. Well, like, come on, man. We need a little color in, these, in this room right now because, you know, we're, we're talking to people that, you got it. You know it. But we need to... Or don't care because it's past. Their lives are past. Exactly. And, and then when we did have those school groups, it was just the best because you could see the young generation and the older generation. And then you could hear the younger generation laughing at things and the older generation, you know, like looking and not being sure how to respond. And then the young generation sort of being aware that the older generation was sort of not necessarily appreciating how they were responding. Mm. And suddenly there was deep tension in the room. And I was like, and that's the play. Tension is our friend. Yes. Always in the theater. Exactly. And it's like, that's why we're doing this damn play to begin with. So the point is, we're doing that, and everything's blowing up with, with, with the Ukraine, and every it's 24-hour-a-day politics. And, like, I mean, we had, you know, thankfully, you know, we're very happy that, you know, Lincoln Center sent it up for us. But, like, twice a month, we were doing group therapy wow. for the cast. Because we needed to. Because we needed to talk about it. Oh, my it. God. That's going to bring me to, no, I got to bring, I got to ask you this. So, And I have to say this as well, yes. just before we move on. I will say this about the Gen Z generation, like the, 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 the young cast members that we, and we had like six or seven people making their debut on Broadway in that play. Mm -hmm. Man, they're talented. Hi, this is Tanya Pinkins, and you've been listening to You Can't Say That on the Broadway Podcast Network. That was part one of my conversation with Mark Kudish. Come back for part two. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.